Okay, kids, it's time for another episode of the Fueled by Weird podcast, the only podcast that is actually supposed to be here today. I'm Chris Daly, and today I have the <laughs> the absolute pleasure of chatting with one of my absolute favorite people in the entire world, Kevin Smith. Kevin, how are you today, sir? Oh, I'm on the phone to my lawyer for that. Not even supposed to be here today, Rip off. That's years it took me to build my fortune off the back of that line, and here you're just scampering away with it on a podcast free i'm outraged i'm good how are you i'll talk to my editor the check will be in the mail <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> i'm i'm doing incredible i i, I can't even tell you <laughs> um well again i i really appreciate you meeting with me today um usually when i start these things off i like to start with a little bit of an icebreaker uh just to kind of break the ice so um what book or TV series or even film series has had the most significant impact on your life? You know, I would have to say it would be Star Wars. Um, it, it, I was insanely preoccupied uh, with Star Wars throughout my childhood and then didn't put it down when I reached adolescence and then didn't put it down when I reached my twenties, which nowadays that's de rigueur. I mean, shit, you fucking make a living now off of just talking about star Wars. But when I was a kid, like, you know, that was something that was the domain. There was no internet yet. Right. So even in my early twenties, we didn't know how many people still loved fucking star Wars. I mean, believe it or not, there was a time where we weren't all connected and you know, it, it wound up in the work, you know, like my the references of Star Wars and my flicks like proliferated because after we made the first flick and, and people reacted to like the Death Star contractor scene, I was like, oh, my God, there are people out there that also remember Star Wars. He naively said. And uh, I started like putting it into the work. So I, I would have to say as much as I love Batman, the Star Wars like I've spent an inordinate amount of time with Star Wars over the course of my life, both personally, like, and oddly enough, professionally, certainly not to the level of like, you know, Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau, but uh, Star Wars never left my life. And I also like got to incorporate it in my, in my work. And I've been in a Star Wars fucking movie as a voice and shit. So it's, yeah, I would have to say hands down, Star Wars. That that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, you know, this in this, you know, is I guess. Wait, you know what? I mean, get the Askew universe counts. I guess that really shaped my shit. That is <laughs> thirty years of my fucking life, and I've been alive fifty-three years. So I've been working on the Askew universe longer than I've been not working on the Askew universe. And that is a fictional world of fandom. And I am its number one fan. So I guess that that even more than Star Wars has profoundly impacted my life, both professionally and personally. Um, and then Star Wars right after it. Sure. Well, I think for me, I definitely, you know, and I mean this with all the flattery it can give you, but the Ask Universe for me is definitely has been inspirational and, you know, significant in my life because, you know, without your movies, there's a bunch of people that are very close friends of mine that I never would have met or even been able to get close to. Um, 
it was actually something that brought me and my dad together a lot closer. Um, he actually passed away a year ago. Um, so it, this, the fact that I'm talking to you now, he would be so excited. And I had a buddy that passed away this last year that the three of us had your movies in common. There's some friends that I, I'll make mall rats references and I've made some amazing friends because there's only the people that are seeing your movies that have got the references. So I, I definitely have to say that you've been a huge inspiration on my life. That means the absolute world to me. I know how movies can become shorthand in a relationship and the, you know, like that's how my father primarily communicated with me was by the movies that we shared. Yeah. Um, my friendships used to be just punctuated with the lines from Coen brothers movies. And, and we spoke in animal house dialogue, you know, it's just the, the stuff that becomes the the cartilage of of your life you know and it's connective tissue between you and others um shared frame of of reference um that's that that's existed before i entered the fray and i was a person who clung to that like i before i was a maker or a filmmaker i was a, just a film fan and one day I'll go back to being just a film fan and all the critics will be happy. But, for, you know, I, I started as part of the audience and migrated or aggregated into the other side, onto the other side of the screen. Right. But that fandom part of you never goes away, or at least it never, I, mean, I speak for myself personally. And maybe some people lose their fucking sense of fandom, but if, for me, it has never gone away, even though I've met some of these fucking legends and, you know, been involved with some of these franchises that meant the world to me and, and stuff like that. Like at, at root, I'm a fan. So when another fan tells me like your stuff does this to me instantly, I can equate it to all the shit that still means something to me in my life made by other people that inspired me, brought me together with people I dearly love. I mean, think about it. I never would have met like, uh, and, and struck up a big friendship with Scott Mosier were it not for like obscure works like, you know, fucking Leningrad Cowboys Go America, Yaki Curse Mackie flick. You know, it's being a fan of a thing uh, opens up so many possibilities in as much as it creates a bridge with another fan who's like, oh my God, I love, I know that. Like that was before we had the internet and all like-minded individuals could find each other. Yeah. That was how you you know fucking gauged your friendships or started friendships man like trading off on what movies are the ones that mean the most to you and what movies you communicate through and stuff so that compliment is insanely well received because i i i, I get it I, I from my own personal fandom i understand that so thank you from the bottom of my heart absolutely i mean i know there was one time at work someone said are you angry i said yeah i'm angry and I just don't have enough ways to monosyllabically enough ex to express myself. And my friend, this guy's like, did you just quote Mallrats? And I was like, you know Mallrats? And, yeah. oh, man, I just, I'm trying to keep Let's myself go. together, man. I, I can't, I can't We're believe you. Up on, here, let me make it easier for you. We're coming up on, in January, it'll be 30 years since Clerks went to Sundance. Um, so I've been doing this three decades. That kind of compliment still thrills me. Like that that i'm not over that like that's 
Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anyway, let's, you know, we'll uh, move on. Um, so, you know, the concept of my show, Fueled by Weird, is the stuff, all the stuff that you're into, all the stuff that your hobbies, interests, and all of that, you know, um, that's the stuff that fuels your weird. So, you know, what's some stuff that, you know, fuels your weird? Oh, I think it's, you know, I wear my weird on my sleeve, right? Like I, you know, my fandom is Kevin Smith fandom and I get to be a part of it and I get to engineer it as well. So I spend a lot of time doing ridiculously Kevin Smith oriented things. So, you know, like fucking I, we just did Fat Man Beyond the other night, me and Mark, big passion of mine, still love kicking back and doing that show, been podcasting since 2007 so we i jumped into it early 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 on um the movies you know uh, cinema has always fueled my weirdness even in as much as it, movies have shaped my life good or bad they've shaped my life like i believe in the three-act structure um which is ridiculous because that's only a storytelling device and life doesn't even have three acts and you know a uh, third act indicates you have some some control over it and we never have control over our fucking third acts and stuff yeah. but at a certain point over my development i was fed so many movies and not movies through like a phone or through a cable network like you know just going to the movies which was one of the only options we had when i was a kid we didn't have a lot of entertainment options and shit but that fueled the notion that like oh i want to do that you know i want to do what those people do i like that seems like a fun job um it af affected me so deeply that i shifted my existence and 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 where i was in the universe to to be in that world you know it like fucking shaped me so much so that i was like it's not enough to just go to the movies and watch movies i want to be in the movie business and and you know that's the, the entertainment being you know the storyteller uh instead of the person who's being told the story like appealed to me absolutely immensely but it was also the kind of job when i was a kid that people were you know like oh well that's a tough business and you should really have a fallback shit like that and i was young enough and dumb enough and full of cum enough at age like 23 well 21 is when i saw slacker on my 21st birthday and that's what made me want to like be a filmmaker then i went to the vancouver film school met scott Mosier there and dave klein um who i would make clerks with like a year and change later and so at age 23 like i make my first film and mercifully ever since then i have been living that life that i dreamed about like oh my god wouldn't it be great to make movies for a living and in fact it's gone beyond the like dream the original initial dream of like oh my god i would love to make movies movies opened up the door to anything else to a world of wonder where it's just like oh i want a podcast when that first broke open and i've done that oh i want to host i want to interview people and i've done that shit i, I want to write comics and i've done that like you know it, it's I, I i grew up watching tv uh, and you know tv was like my fucking third parent and so, you know, there was a moment where we had a fucking TV show for like seven seasons and shit with comic book men. And so, you know, that stuff which fueled my weird as a kid, and, and, and when I say a kid, I mean even in my 20s. Yeah. At an early age, I was like, 
wouldn't it be great if that was your living? Like, wouldn't it be great if somehow all of that was how you earned instead of having a fucking job that you run to all these things for to fucking escape and mitigate the effects of what if all the things that you run to for comfort were the actual fucking job? That's a gamble worth fucking taking risking because if it works out, Oh my God, fucking what a great life that would be. And that's been 30 years of, of that. And so then I got to take my weird to a larger canvas, you know, it used to be like you shared it with your friends, you know, you, you, and how many friends do we even really have over a fucking course of a lifetime? But suddenly because of the job, I had a platform and an audience so I could share my weird with them and like go deeper. Like I'll never forget fucking, you know, people understanding that I was a Degrassi fan to the point that I wound up on the show, you know, like I was just a big fan who like threw a Degrassi jacket into mall rats. And then years later got to play myself like on Degrassi, the next generation. So my weird and the things that I've always enjoyed, I always gravitated towards and then championed, you know, like when, when I started, you know, now we live in a comic book culture. When I started, like fucking people weren't talking about that shit. Like Mallrats and Brody were like not recognizable. Like they were weird outliers. Like does a person like that really exist until the internet, the advent of the internet. And then we found out the world is full of fucking Brodies, man. Mm -hmm. It's like when you date somebody in high school, like I always think of my high school girlfriend, Kim Lochran. Um, when she was dating me in high school, like, oh my God, like you're so different than everyone else. You're, you're so different than all the other boys, you know, until she went to college. And then in college, she finds out that like, oh, there's a zillion fucking Kevin Smith's like, they just, they're not in high school. They're rare, but here fucking, this is where they all are and shit. And you realize that the stage is getting bigger and rather than kind of uh, like keep my passions to myself, I'd always go out there and talk about them. Like, I'm so glad that I embraced comic books and talked about them early in the work because slowly the world shifted toward my interest. And, and, you know, I was like, well positioned. I was like, I've been talking about this shit for years and whatnot. So it, it's, I've found that like the things that I'm passionate about or what fuels my weird are the things that have made all my dreams come true for heaven's sakes. And then manifested the reality or manifested the, um, the, the reality of dreams that I didn't even dare dream or knew that I would have or something like that. And I'm not just because like, shit, the technology didn't exist, but you know, I didn't think it was possible to spin that many plates. I thought you had to pick one thing and concentrate on it. And it turns out you could, if you're Chris Nolan, you pick one thing and concentrate on it. And you become an absolute maestro at that thing. Yeah. I, I had that like, pull to be like i want to be great at one thing I've always felt like well shit this door opened the this film opened the door to all these other things that would seem interesting to me like things i've always wanted to try or things that i like that other people do like you know i wound up in podcasting because i grew up listening to howard stern and i was like oh my god like you know sit around talk to your friends every morning like what a great fucking job that is yeah I wound up standing on a stage and doing Q and A's and then later on an evening with and all that shit. And then comedy specials because I grew up loving George Carlin. I was like, that looks fucking fun. That'd be fucking amazing. I made a film because I saw Richard Linklater did it with Slacker. I was like, that'd be fantastic. I'm a firm believer in like, in order to be it, you got to see it. And whenever I see something that I'm interested in, I, 
I, I investigated sooner or later, man, to see if like, is it possible that I could do that sort of thing? Could I be involved in that sort of thing? And not even on a professional level. I'm not always like, how do I get paid for that sort of thing? Right. Just do it just to do it. You know, like in the beginning of podcasting, it's like nobody was making money. It was just like, what? I could have my own fucking radio show. Oh, that's fantastic. Now it's a goddamn industry and stuff. Yeah. But generally speaking, I never go into anything for money. I go into those things because like I love them because I'm passionate about them. And so I lean heavily into the things that I'm weird about. And and boy, they've fucking opened up my entire life. They brought me to you. Like they they yeah. nobody knows who the fuck I am unless I lean into my weird. I was a film fan who was like, maybe I could be a filmmaker. That's leaning into your weird heavily. For sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always say it about myself all the time. I'm a jack of all trades, but a master of none because you know, I've had lots of people tell me, you know, you have to focus on one discipline and get good at one. I'm like, why? I mean, life is short. There's so many things out there that maybe I want to try. Like, you know, like podcasting looks interesting to me. Writing is interesting. You know, making weird videos on the internet is interesting. So why, why do I have to pick one? And so oh, the fact that yeah. I got validation from my hero is, is, is great. Technology affords you the ability to like hop around and try shit out in a way that no generation prior to this one has been able to afford uh, or be uh, afford themselves. Think yeah. about it. Like most people did dedicate a lifetime to a craft. Didn't necessarily mean they even liked it, but they picked a path and they went with it. My father, post office, worked at the post office his whole adult life. Not because he was like, fuck, I believe in the mail. He was just like, it's a job. I got to pay for my fucking family and shit. Um, your generation has the luxury of like, oh, I'm going to try editing. Oh, I'm going to try podcasting. I'm going to try this because now it's become the technology to create this shit has become so fucking affordable and so democratized it's put right into the hands of anybody who wants to give it a shot and i celebrate that because that's where the interesting stuff comes from man not from hearing the same like new stories from the same fucking 50 people over and over again you let new voices in man and that's how fucking cool new exciting things happen that inspire you even like when i'm a maker of things i could still get inspired by seeing somebody kind of reach their peak or break through or something like that so yeah it's it, it's a, a great time to to try things i don't care what fucking age you are you yeah. know if you've ever sat there and been like listen to the radio and you're like i'm smarter than these people i'm funnier than these people now's your chance dive in you know do it before you leave this best of all possible worlds and and now it's not like yeah but how do i do that it's like you're holding the fucking very device that you could do it all on man and join the conversation create the conversation even yeah i mean the very first podcast i ever did was me and you know four friends who were just sitting around talking about dumb nerd shit all the time so we're like why not record this and let other people listen to it and turns out there was a not a huge audience for it, but there's definitely people out there that want to hear that stuff. That's the dangerous uh, moment in every podcaster's life when they realize that having just having a normal conversation off microphone is a complete waste of time. It's <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> like, why are we talking to each other here? Let's do it on the mic. That yeah. way it's that's one of the reasons I started podcasting was the idea that like, you know, you sit around with your friends and and tell jokes or fucking run scenarios or whatever the fuck and then for the rest of your life pre-podcasting at least for me you'd be like oh man remember we remember that one time we talked about that thing and shit like that and you try to relive it and whatnot 
Podcasting for me was putting a microphone on all those conversations and saving them. So it's like, oh, I can have, I can listen to this conversation. And the further I went in to podcasting, the deeper down the well I went, the more it became like, why am I talking unless a microphone is on? All of this should be captured. And then you realize that's what like put Nixon, you know, under constant <laughs> definitely pros and cons for sure. Yeah, you got to edit. You got to be fucking selective. <laughs> but right. it, it, the idea of being able to, you know, capture my life. When I started the Smodcast podcast, I didn't think it would ever become the Smodcast Network. And then when I started the Smodcast Network, I never realized what it was until one day I was like, oh, this is the story of my life. Like, this is what my ongoing autobiography. Um, it captures everything that happened before. It's captured uh, everything that's happening now and, and into the future. So yeah. it became like this weirdly inexpensive way to write an autobiography. Yeah. And we, you know, that podcast I mentioned before, you know, we did about 13 episodes of it and it kind of just went away. But then, you know, one of my friends that did it passed away this last spring. And now, well, you know, we've we've got we've got that recordings of him so we can always go back and he's always going to be with us. So it's so good that we saved it. So, yeah, it definitely is a good way to chronicle your life for sure. Truth, truth. Yeah, I've got conversations with Stan Lee, conversations with Kevin Conroy, conversations with Denny O'Neill, um, Neil Adams, like a bunch of legends who are fucking gone. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, uh, I think in terms of people closest to me, like, you know, I've mercifully, I've not lost any people that I've been a podcaster with. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh my God. Ralph is dead. You know, Ralph is still very much alive and well. We've been doing Hollywood Babylon for like 13, 14 years. Mm -hmm. um, but when they go, I will have, if I'm still around, we'll have like these wonderful records of our conversations. I always told my kid that. I was like, you know, because she don't fuck with my podcast at all. And I don't give a shit. I'm not like, you need to listen to my fucking podcast. But I always, I was like, one day I'm going to drop dead. And those podcasts are going to be a window like back into your father and his world and stuff i said so you'll get around to listening to him. like i just won't be around to see your reaction to it and shit but like i've left you a complete record you'll never have to wonder who your fucking father is the complete audio record of who your father is sure um you know going back speaking about your q a um i heard you were at spookala this weekend and you got to meet my friend Stefan and matt the the top hat guy yeah how was that how did that go they were lovely, man. Spicala was really great. Um, you know, it reminds me of like a chiller show that we have up in New Jersey. Um, it's it's also a cool story about something that grew so big that they took it into Tampa, out of Ocala, right into Tampa. Um, but I love the horror community. Before I, I ever thought about being like an independent filmmaker, my dream as a kid, when I'm talking about 13, 14 year old, was I wanted to be Tom Savini. I wanted to be like a prosthetics guy. Sure. Um, not an artist, which is weird to say because I'm a director, but I'm a visual artist. I'm terrible. So I would have been the worst. Like, I'm not, you got to be a visual artist to be able to sculpt fucking, you know, prosthetics. And that part of the equation I left out. I just loved horror movies so much. I just wanted to work in rubber, you know, and shit. So horror and, and uh, splatter horror and fucking, you know, uh, rubber horror uh, monsters, all that shit is so close to my heart, been a part of my life since I was a kid. So going to Spookala, being surrounded by other like-minded 
fans of the genre and now being able to walk into a horror convention and have people be like you made fucking tusk you're fucked up that's a badge of honor that's very cool for sure um now i want to ask you know i want to ask where your ideas come i kind of got like a two-part question i want to ask you know when you're coming up with your ideas for your movies and everything where do you get your ideas from and i kind of want to throw in you know the the heart attack um mm when you you know because of the heart attack are you more willing to take chances that you wouldn't have taken before you know now that you've kind of got your i I, I wonder that since the heart attack we'll attack that one first the the um you know i i often wondered like what would the heart attack do like in terms of what would it what kind of reaction would it create in the work and I don't think it created like, well, now I'm fucking fearless because I'm, I made dogma for Christ's sakes. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, it's, it's not like, well, you know, I saw death, so I don't give a shit anymore. But on some level, it was definitely, it made me, definitely made me more nostalgic. And so the first two movies after my heart attack were Jane Silent Bob Reboot and Clerks 3. And Jane Silent Bob Reboot is the the post heart attack movie because everybody's in it they're like oh my god he lived so let's go cameo in the movie because i guilted them all like i would call people and be like hey man can you come out and be in jane song pop reboot like where are you shooting and i was like oh we're in new orleans like that's far and i was like oh far you do realize i almost fucking died this year in the <laughs> so we got a pretty big cast and that was fun and it was kind of a party it was like hey i lived and everybody was came to celebrate that that was nice and then clerks three i flat out used the heart attack as you know the fucking main plot device for heaven's sakes so it it has manifested uh in the work um in as much as it not so much like it's made me fearless and now i'll fucking do whatever because again i i did make tusk and that was before the heart attack for heaven's sakes right so i i think more it it certainly made me like sorry grabbing a drink. It certainly made me happy. So like I, the viewist universe, I absolutely adore. But there was a time online where people made me feel, you know, like uh, oh he just fucking makes those skew movies and shit and blah blah blah. And um, so I stopped for like a long time. There's like almost a ten year stretch where I didn't make a skew movie between Clerks two. And uh, I guess reboot. Um, And so after the heart attack, I guess I was a little bit like, I don't give a shit. Like I almost died. I just want to go up to the attic and play with my toys. And uh, so I did. So the back-to-back Universe adventures probably would not have happened if I hadn't had the heart attack. Um. I probably would have tried to be more strategic about my career had there not been the heart attack. Although, maybe not. Pre-heart attack. Let's look at the output pre-heart attack. Right before the heart attack was yoga hosers and tusk. So I really wasn't being fucking careful with my career at all. Um, yeah, I guess maybe the heart attack just made me be like, you know what? Fuck it. I want to play with nice universe characters. Um, that made me feel young because 
when I was a kid, I was making movies with these characters and these actors. And so going back and doing more of them was good for what ailed me at that point. Um, and now, you know, I, it's certainly um, manifesting. Uh, like the last the movie we just finished called the 430 movie. We shot at uh, my movie theater uh, in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey, Smodcastle Cinemas that me and my friends own. This is the childhood movie theater I grew up going to when I was a kid in New Jersey. So when we were buying the movie theater, I was like, fuck, man. Like, that's a brand new set. That's a free set. And I know the people that own this fucking So I'm going to write a movie for a movie theater. And, you know, naturally, one would be like, well, shit, from the guy who made Clerks, Ushers. But I didn't make... I didn't write a script about people that work at a movie theater because I never worked in a movie theater. I went further back and I made a 1986 movie about like me and my friends when, you know, the most important thing we had to do was go to the movies on a fucking weekend and pay for one movie and then hop to all the rest at a multiplex and stuff, just skip around the movie theaters. So that movie, as I was writing it, you know, set in 86 and, and based on me and my friends, we didn't, fucking curse like I, I didn't start cursing my full head off until i started hanging out with jason muse like circa 89 90 maybe 91 so you know i'm writing it and there's just no you know what i would call edge but really just meaning there's no place for you know fucking the language i'm normally accustomed to pop you know to, to popping into my character's mouths and and um subject matter you know it's not like overly sexually oriented or grown up and stuff it's a movie about being a teenager in 1986 and it's you know kind of wistful and very sweet um and you know maybe that's by virtue of age or maybe the heart attack informed that you know where it's like you know i've i've always kind of looked back to some degree in the work there's always been a tinge of nostalgia kind of to almost everything i do uh but now you know it's like this one is the first flick i've made which feels like um oh he's a grown-up now and he's looking back like which to me, I've always like every movie I've done is kind of looked back or been taken from my life. Like Clerks was not like, you know, a fiction. It was autobiographical for heaven's sakes to a large degree. Um, same with Mallrats, same with Chasing Amy. Um, you know, so I've always kind of taken big chunks of who I am and put it into the work. But this one, the 430 movie is like so fucking deep cuts, deeply personal. And it goes deeper into my personal life than i've previously gone like everything's always kind of stopped at the 90s and this goes back even further and i don't know if that's by virtue of the fact that i had a hard attack five years ago or just i'm at an age now where i'm like oh i want to i want to do this or honestly it could have just been that i bought a movie theater i was like fuck it i gotta write something this seems like the story and and since the movie theater like here i can tell you exactly how we get where we got the movie theater hasn't been touched in eon so it's fucking ancient right and so in theater one we got these uncomfortable ass fucking theater seats that have been there since me and my friends were going to the multiplex when we were fucking kids back before it was multiplex when first it was a single screen then it became a duplex and now it's like a five screens 
So these same uncomfortable chairs that we fucking sat through labyrinth in um, first run are still there. And so the whole movie theater looks ancient as fuck. So that's why I was like, you know what? I'll set this bitch in 1986. I could get away with it because everything yeah. in this fucking old. And then while I was there, I was like, all right, well, if you're doing 86, pull from pull from this, pull from that. So, yeah, it wasn't so much wistful as it was pragmatic where I'm like, this place looks old. Let me try to make a period piece. That might be fun. And we got away with it. Beautiful thing about shooting a period piece is just like anywhere you point that camera, it just has to be the year you say it is. And, you know, normally when I shoot a movie, we just turn on the camera and whatever's happening in the background is doesn't matter because we're always shooting stuff set for the current world, uh, current, you know, fucking uh, it's they're not. Uh, period pieces yeah. doing 1986 means every time you're looking here it better be 1986 everything in the background is 1986 and in that movie theater once we get inside it's easy as fuck man a popcorn fucking butter machine is from like 1950 <laughs> um seats are fucking uh, you know if i sat in them in the 80s that means they were there in the fucking 70s yeah. so you know the whole thing just has this classic feel to it um, and by classic, I mean old as fuck and, and not, not, you know, not updated. And so because of that, I could kind of go in there and be like, all right, let's pretend it's 1986. And it was easy to do without plunking down huge amounts of, of money. It was, it was kind of fascinating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, me, me, that makes sense. And, you know, me, myself, I used to work in a movie theater as a kid. So I'm super excited for this movie. Not that I'm not excited for any of your movies. And just to put it on record, you know, the two that I see that get the most hate are Yoga Hosers and Jersey Girl. And Yoga yeah. Hosers, I love that one because you said it was made for teenage girls. My oldest daughter is a teenage girl. And that was my way to get her into Kevin Smith land to kind of get her into my world a little bit so she can understand my appreciation for you. And did she like She did like it a lot, actually. Wow. She really did. Um, so you guys are the only two people on the planet who have seen and liked yoga. <laughs> I loved it. And Jersey girl, when I saw it, I was before I was a parent, but you know, I'm a girl dad now. So it definitely helped me get ready to be a girl dad. And from one girl dad to another, I definitely appreciate that. Oh, thank uh, you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so now I kind of want to talk about, you know, the, one of the main reasons we're here, you know, your new book masquerade, um, it's an incredible series. You know, what was, how did you come up with the idea for it? You know, in the, in the uh, opening, uh, in the intro for the first of the trade paperbacks, because um, Dark Horse does these wonderful fucking like compilation books where they, they like to do four issues and then put them between covers and then do four is there a four issue at a time company. Um, so the first four issues of Masquerade, they put into hardcover and, 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 uh, the second four will be in another hardcover. Then presumably all eight will be in one giant hardcover. But the hardcovers they put out with the first four issues are fucking gorgeous, man. Just really quality. And they asked me to write an intro. And in the intro, I talked about where it came from. Um, originally, uh, what became Masquerade started as a pitch for a, a series based on DC Comics, The Question. And great. Uh, for HBO Max, the HBO Max guy was like, fucking love it, man. Bring it to JJ's company because JJ was in charge of like a bunch of DC characters, including the question. So I went to pitch it a bad robot, but the lady I pitched it to was like, this is too dark. And um, 
you know, I was like, man, this is a fucking cool idea. Yeah. Well, and then I heard this interview that I had done with Robert Kirkman on Fat Man Beyond. Or Fat Man on Batman. I forget which one it was. But Kirkman talked about, I think it was Fat Man Beyond. Kirkman talked about, um, you know, he loved Marvel. And he worked at Marvel. And he was like giving his best to Marvel because that's how they get you, man. They got the characters that you love and you become, you know, give you best ideas to these to these corporations just because they, you know, hold Batman fucking captive and stuff. And you want to fucking work with Batman, play with Batman. And so you wind up like giving all your best to these characters that you'll, you know, you will never own. And he, the way Kirkman explained it, he was like, one day I just realized, like, why am I fucking giving my best ideas to Marvel? Fuck it. I'm going to start writing for myself. And that led to The Walking Dead, which led to a fucking fortune. So I was thinking, like, you know what, man? Like, why am I giving this cool idea, like, to the question miniseries or the question pot, potential question series? Because, it, you know, it the question has such a nebulous background you can just fucking go and as long as you know i honor the comics and the source material but you know secret origin stuff you get to kind of fucking go in your direction and whatnot and um and it was kind of loosey-goosey anyway characters created by ditko but it's not like when when vic sage was a boy or something like that so it meant like there was some runway to work with but it was very different than you know, if, if you just change the name, it was no longer the question. Yeah. And so, well, let's change the name, add an ability or two and fucking like tell the story that me and my friend Andy McElfresh, um, who I did the podcast Education with for years, um, him and I were the ones pitching the series. And so I reached out to John Sprengelmeyer, who did like our Jane Silent Bob secret stash logo and he did the fat man logo i used to wear forever and stuff he's an artist friend of mine i say hey man we're we want to do this book and this character and we're called masquerade and you want to be a co-creator and he was like fuck yeah so me and Aunt andy gave john like all our notes and and like these are the scripts and i told him what i was hoping it would look like the mask uh that uh fee wears in the book and uh you know, suddenly we saw an image of it and I was like, this is it. This is perfect. And so I went to Dark Horse. Um, I, I told my agent, I was like, oh, no, it's time for me to to kick open the doors on a on a comic book imprint. You know, I've been a comic book fan forever and stuff and I want to write some comics. And, and so, you know, let, let me find a place to set up shop. You know, got to be creator owned. So obviously it's not going to be one of the big two. Yeah. And. Um, I talked to Mike Richardson and he was like, you know, let's do a thing here. And so we created Secret Stash Press and popped a masquerade out into the world. And it was fun, man. You know, it's not related to the VSQ universe in any way. And when I do super superhero stuff, I tend to do it darker and, and hardcore and stuff. And it's a pretty dark, hard, hardcore book. Um, and this one's got humor in it as well. Like the character's you know, hide in plain sight vigilante. She's a like a fucking influencer who's got like a TV show and, and she's huge, but secretly she's this fucking vigilante um, who's on the hunt for these people that killed her brother. It's, it's, it's like it's some f fun comic book stuff, man. And it was 
so delightful that Dark Horse was into it enough to publish it. And then the other book I did for Dark Horse was Quick Stops, which is definitely more up my alley. Uh, right. It's a book I've been trying to do for years, which is like, I'm going to make a Skew Universe comics again. Back in the day, we used to make comic books based on the View Skew characters. They were Jane, Silent Bob comics, Clerks comics, so forth and so on. Um, and then I stopped doing it for a long, long time. So with Quick Stops, it's an anthology title where I get to kind of tell one-off stories with all the characters from the Askewniverse. And that's been absolutely delightful. So the first four issues of that came out, and they put that into a hardcover. And then the next four issues start in November. And the next four issues of Quick Stops is this movie's uh, secret origin story. And our golden calf cow character. In Dogma, there's a cursory reference to Nancy Goldriff, the person who created her. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to do the Nancy Goldriff story. And it's like so fucked up and grown up and tawdry. Like it's so, it's, it's you know, it's like a fucking podcast, like one of those murder podcasts. Um, it, it's, it was fun, fun story to write and stuff. I, you know, I can't, some of the View of Universe, the, the quick first season of Quick Stop, the first four issues, you know, are f very funny stories. Um, uh, meant to be funny stories uh quick stops uh volume two cash cow is the storyline about movie there's funny stuff in it but it's definitely fucking like darker in tone but jane and bob do pop up in it eventually and have some funny shit going on um so i've been enjoying being back in the world of of comics um writing stories and me and andy are going to kick back uh at the end of october and come up with the next masquerade storyline um hopefully john will draw again he drew the first four issues and did all the covers and then he let the, the next four issues go into the hands of a very talented artist and um you know i think he might be ready to jump on and do the next four of the next volume of masquerade to too i think we're calling it nice and that's very cool i mean masquerade is a super cool story you know my wife she's real big into true crime and all those like catch a criminal stories that when i told her like hey kevin smith wrote this to catch a criminal but basically the person who catches the criminals dresses up at night and goes and kills them she's like yeah. holy shit that's incredible so the fact that you got my wife who's not normally into comics into comics is is pretty that's saying something for sure and that means thank you for that absolutely and you know i was going to mention quick stops as well i mean it was i'm so excited for the new ones i'm so excited to see about the origin of the golden calf and the fact I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it yet, but the the two characters that you said ended up being related, I never knew they were related, but it makes perfect fucking sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two of Quick Stops is a, a story of Brody and, and Randall going to a funeral of their cousin Walter. And so both of them referenced cousin Walter separately in, in movies. And so, you know, I was always like, oh, they're related. And so it was the first time I got to bring Brody and Randall together in a story. It was re really quite fun for me. And it was, it was, so, it was so good. Uh, no, now, now, rolling into comics still, you know, we can't talk about comics without talking about the stash. Shout yeah. out to the boys of the stash. Um, I know recently they just introduced a new, you know, if you don't have a local comic shop, we mm. can be your local shop. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, it's nice. They did, uh, opened a subscription service, which, you know, I never understood why we didn't have that. You know, we are, uh, we had a TV show at one point. <laughs> so it's like, you I know, we've one had of my favorite shows ever. 
Thank you. We've had com free, essentially a free commercial for years on AMC. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's nice that it's been the subscription service has been opened up beyond the locals that came in. We always had a pretty strong local subscription membership service, uh, but going, being able to mail them out to people who, you know, they're like, look, I'm nowhere near a comic book store. I might as well buy them from you guys. Uh, feels wonderful. So yeah, Mike, uh, as Apsic, who runs the stash is kind of, uh, tripled our, our, uh, subscription numbers, um, by opening it up to the world, which is, is nice for some people too. They're like, I, I get to say I bought my books at Jay and Son Bob's, which, you know, for, for a person that matters to, I guess it matters. Um, and it matters to us that they were going to spend their money somewhere. We're happy they spend it with Jay and Son and Bob. Absolutely. I mean, I know tons of nerds who, you know, can never celebrate free comic book day because they don't have a local shop and they can't mm -hmm. new books that are out. They just have to get it digital. And like, if you still, you know, like Stan said, you know, digital comics are good, but it doesn't, you know, beat holding one in your hand. It true. Action, you know, get your comics that way. Absolutely true. And we're pretty sure that when he was talking about getting it in your hand, he was talking about comics. <laughs> Any number of things. <laughs> Erotic charged moment of conversation with stanley for sure all right now you know i can't let you go without talking about mental health you know you did that video a few months ago that mm -hmm. just completely blew me away and brought me to tears because it just you know i related with a lot of the stuff in the video just the fact you know the whole you know i don't want to fix my own problems because it's easier to fix somebody else problems and you know i'll do and being a people pleaser you know it's something i've dealt with my whole life for the same reason i was a fat kid too when i was little you know, I, you know, I'll do whatever you want, as long as you don't make fun of me, you know, I, I totally related with that. So I kind of want to ask, you know, how, how are things going now? What kind of, are you still in a good headspace? Is everything going okay? Yeah, it's, um, I've been out the loony bin now, uh, let's see, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, eight months. And, um, you know, I've been mindful ever since, um, I, there was a period a couple last month I forgot um, how important breathing is as a reset. Um, normally I do a show called uh, uh, Meditations over at that Kevin Smith Club three times a week. But while we were making the movie, um, I wasn't doing it because we were it, it just buried in the flick. And so, you know, there I would always breathe every day with the audience, like just do five by five, five in, five hold, five out, five hold. And um, it, it's crazy, man, how necessary it absolutely is. And when I was in Sierra Tucson, like they taught us the importance of breathing. Breathing grounds you here and here and now. Uh, a lot of us spend so much of our headspace in the past and the future. And the past is uh, depression and the future is anxiety. You can't change the past that already happened and you have no control over the future whatsoever. So it's always best to be in the moment. The moment is what you control. And generally speaking, unless horrible things are happening in the moment, the moment is not as bad as the anxious ridden future you create or the past that you dwell on over and over again. So breathing is an important part of that because you can't breathe in the past and you can't breathe in the future. You can only breathe in the present, in the exact moment you are. And focusing on the now, being mindful of the present, um, you know, and they have pithy little sayings, like it's it's called the present because it's a gift. It is, I mean, it's corny shit, but it is yeah. a gift to remember 
that right here and right now, nothing's wrong. We spend so much time in our heads fretting about the past, about what we said wrong, what went wrong, what this fucker did, that we're, if you live in the past in your head, there's always something wrong. In the future, we're always trying to predict problems, uh, worried about what's going to happen to us. It creates a lot of anxiety. That, too, is something we have no control over. If you just stop periodically and think really hard, like, what is absolutely wrong at this moment in time? Generally speaking, you come up with, like, nothing. Like, there is no, technically no problem right now. Yes, there will always be issues. But these things that I'm worried about, I'm creating in my head by dwelling on past events, conflating them with the future. In the here and now, it's always important to gut check yourself and make sure that the moment you're in is not this, but it's reality. And in reality, chances are things are not bad at the moment. You know, we create a lot of bad in our heads and we can experience a lot of bad. I'm not saying bad things don't happen. Absolutely. Of course they do. But so much of of our day is spent worrying about what's to come that we don't think about or appreciate what's happening right now. And sometimes nothing is happening. And sometimes that's the beautiful thing. You know, you're not surrounded by death or, or, you know, loss or, or system failure or something like that. Um, and in this moment in time, like, for example, I am uh, at my mom's house in Florida and, you know, a couple months ago, we almost lost mom. She was in the hospital for like three fucking months. Um, when I head out of here, I got a college gig on Wednesday at Fairleigh Dickinson. And then the Smod Castle Film Festival kicks off October 12th through the 15th. But right now, I get to hang out with mom, you know, sit around and watch Shark Tank, something I never do. Um, and not because I'm like, fuck Shark Tank. I just never thought about it when, you know, mom's like, sit down and watch this and she enjoys it. And, uh, you know, I kind of got off on how much she was getting off. And I was like, hey, look at you, secret investor, armchair investor. And nothing's wrong at this moment in time. My mom's alive and well. I'm alive and well. Life comes down to moments, kids. And, you know, we've been bullshitted to by movies our whole lives. And I'm part of the problem because I create bullshit movies as well. Um, you know, about a three act structure and happily ever after that shit doesn't exist. You know, life comes down to moment by moment. And when your life is done, you're lucky to look back on a collection of wonderful moments. Yeah. Some shitty things happen along the way. Some horrible things probably happen along the way. Loss is inevitable, whether it be loss of friendship, loss of life, loss of innocence. Um, it's a cruel world out there, but it's also a wonderful world, um, with, uh, you know, warmth um, in, when you're looking in all the right places and people that do give a shit, even though it seems like a kind of cold environment. So, uh, you know, for me, I, I tend to focus on the, the here and now, you know, and try to keep it mindful and always doing the gut check of like, what are you upset about? What is happening right now that is upsetting you? And chances are it's nothing that's happening right now. It's me fretting about something that's to come or me worried about something that already happened. And um, doing that check has kept it, kept me healthy, kept me out of anxiety and, uh, you know, away from darkness for a few months now. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, you know, just today, you know, I got some news that might be good and might not be good. And 
you know, it's been hard to not fret about, you know, the, the worst case scenario. But, you know, right now, everything's good. You know, if you worry about it right now, I mean, it's not going to change what happened and it's not going to make it better. So, I mean, worrying about it's not going to do anything. So you just got to kind of, you know, like you said, do it moment by moment just to just to kind of so you don't drive yourself crazy. There's a great quote that uh, David Mamet put into the Spanish prisoner. Um and uh, he had Ricky Jay say it. And the line was, worry is interest paid in advance on a debt that never comes due. And I've always loved that. It's true. All the worrying in the world is not going to stop what's coming. Um, so best to not waste your time in the present concerning yourself. You know, if you're going to write a fiction about the future, which is all it is, write a good one. You know, it's 50-50 but it's going to be good or it's going to be bad. So if you're going to make shit up, make up the good stuff. Um, if you're going to imagine something's going to happen, but probably best to just leave it all behind and concentrate on the here and now. Be thankful for this fucking moment because one day we want to run out of moments. And, um, you know, you'll wish you had this one back. Like, I can't believe I wasted my time watching fucking Kevin Smith talk in yet another interview. Um, but, you know, for those that are there and are like, hey, I'm getting something out of this. Welcome and thank you. And yes, uh, we, we get very few moments. You know, make the most of them. I'm not saying you got to go out and do fucking big things and cure cancer and shit like that or even make movies or anything like that. I'm saying like, just enjoy the fact that every life comes down to some really wonderful collection of moments. It can't all be good all the time. And when it's really good capture that remember that appreciate it for when it's there because it's fleeting it goes away and it makes you waiting for another one of those moments you know life doles it out that way um but it's good i mean we don't know what's after this so we know this place and yeah it's got its creeks and yeah it's got its horrors and atrocities but it also has its beauties and it's and its warmth and its wonders so best of all possible worlds as far as i know nobody's shown me evidence to the contrary, might as well enjoy it while we're here because we're here for so little. Now, before I let you go, you know, is there anything else you want to talk about? I know you mentioned uh, the film festival this weekend and I know the cruise is coming up. Did you want to talk about those a little bit? Yeah, cruise is cute. Well, we got the film festival, Smodcastle Film Festival takes place October 12th to the 13th, 13th, 15th, sorry, at Smodcastle Cinemas in Atlantic Highlands. I'll be there introing and, and interviewing people and stuff like that um and then uh february of 2024 this february coming up uh we got our inaugural jane silent bob's cruise askew which right now is like 78 percent sold out uh so we still got some rooms left but um yeah it's been wonderful it's gonna be three thousand of us on a boat lots of live podcasts live show we're going to read the mall rats two script with jason lee and ethan sapleeks they're coming as well um it's full of people like brian o'holler jeff anderson jason muse me um you know uh me mark bernard and i doing fat man beyond me and ralph garman doing hollywood babylon jay and i doing jay and silent bob get old me and andy McElfresh doing education me and jen schwalbach doing plus one so it's a three-day cruise leaves from miami and goes to the bahamas and then comes back and uh it's full of fucking shows and then live music at night from a bunch of artists who've been on our soundtracks including soul asylum and stuff so it's gonna be a fun-ass cruise man you can go to jane silent bob cruise askew.com for tickets 
very awesome. And where else can we keep up with you on social media just to see what's coming up? Um, you know, I, I still keep my Instagram pretty active. My Twitter, I basically use to sell shows at Smodcastle all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I guess that's, the, I mean, we still podcast. We still do Fat Man Beyond. To, we tend to do it at least once a week, if not every other week. But, you know, you can't uh, escape Kevin Smith. He'll fucking find you on the internet, kids. That's a promise and a threat. All right. Well, to keep up to date with us, with all this that's going on in the world of nerd, make sure you check out our website, geek-network.com. You can find us at GeeksAZ on Instagram and Twitter, Geek Network on Facebook. I am CD is Weird on Instagram. The music for the show is by Polygon Horizon. They're a great band. Go check them out on Bandcamp. The logos for my show are done by Chris Chandler and Mike Belcher. Great comic book guys and great friends. Go check them out. And if you like the show, please leave a review and tell your friends because word of mouth is our friend. And remember, kids, to embrace the things that feel your weird and always geek responsibly. Kevin, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Such a pleasure, Chris. Many thanks.